Welcome to another edition of Mind of a Madman, brought to you from STS Studios. Uh, this week, uh, you know, last week was kind of a long episode, and so I figured I'd keep this one a little shorter, you know, give you guys a break. Uh, and also, uh, I thought we'd take a different path. I mean, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, UFOs, space, ghosts, uh, that kind of thing. So let's look at something that's not really paranormal exactly, but it's it's not paranormal. It's actually uh, just a conspiracy theory, but it's one that I didn't even know anything about until about two months ago when I first came across this. This first started doing research on this, and it's actually a fascinating theory, conspiracy theory, and one that I actually buy into. Uh, and there's actually a couple of them, and uh, they all revolve around the Titanic incident. But uh, before we get to that, as always, we have uh, some news stories. So this week we're going to start... Um, this article is entitled Pyramids Discovered in Russia, Twice as Old as Egypt. Pyramids found by archaeologists on the Kola Peninsula prove the existence of an ancient civilization on the territory of Russia. Currently, archaeologists, archaeological excavations near the pyramids, which, according to preliminary estimates, are at least two times older than the Egyptian ones, have been resumed, has, have been resumed on the Kola Peninsula. Scientists who made an expedition to these places believe that the Kola Peninsula may be the ancestral home of the most ancient civilization on Earth. A weighty argument for this hypothesis is the pyramids discovered by scientists in huge stone slabs created 9,000 to 40,000 years ago. So if this is if this is found to be 100% true, this pushes back you know, the date of civilized man by a long time. I mean, you know, you know the Egyptian pyramids, you know, and the Sphinx, well, the Sphinx, their best guess is right now is 4,200 years old, but now with, you know, uh, the, you know, the general geological uh, um, investigations on, on, on the Sphinx because of all the weathering and the water erosion on the sides of it, and they're saying that the Sphinx could be potentially eight, all the way up to 20,000 years old. So, these 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 discoveries are you're you're just showing that you know humans were 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 up to huge things and were a lot more advanced than we thought they were and a lot sooner. So let's continue with the article. Interesting, interestingly, all the pyramids are positioned clearly in the direction of east to west. It also turned out that the pyramids were rebuilt three times by ancient people each time increasing them in height. The question remains, why or who could build these structures? So it just begs to, begs to argue that, you know, potentially, you know, the same people, well, if you believe the city of Atlantis, um, the whole thing around Atlantis was that there is, um, you know, there was, they had, you know, uh, cities all, they, you know, that Atlantis was, was a capital of the great civilization, and they had cities all over the world, uh, you know. And if you look, you know, we're finding pyramids, you know, now in Russia, of course, in Egypt, um, you know, pyramids in uh, in South America. Um, you know, there's pyramids all over the world. In fact, I have I have we have an episode coming up in a couple of weeks that they actually they found uh, um, pyramids in uh, in Antarctica. So, you know, I, I really think that this goes back. 10,000 years plus, and it all ties in with, with the great civilization of Atlanta. I think it's all connected. Um, so, that's, I mean, that's as far as the article goes. On, goes uh, 
but it, it definitely, you know, I'm definitely going to do some more research on this and see if I can't, you know, uh, base a whole show around these pyramids. So let's go to the next article. This one is titled, New Theory Suggests that we, tra that we Travel to a Parallel Universe When We Dream. We have long been fascinated by the concept of dreaming and what they may reveal. With many different theories ranging from psychic glimpses into our future to a glimpse of our innermost thoughts and desires, scientists are more interested than ever in understanding this phenomenon. Every night, humans have an average of 6 to 10 dreams. A few minutes after being awoken, these dreams are usually forgotten. However, what if there's actually meaning to dreams that would make them more lucrative to remember? Have you ever experienced a dream that was so-called lifelike that you felt like you were literally there in that moment? You can feel the breeze on your face, smell the fresh-cut grass, or taste the food that touched your lips. I'm going to say firsthand, I've, I've had one of these dreams, and, I, and actually it was a reoccurring dream. And, you know, I had the same dream over and over and over and over. And it was so lifelike. It was, it was actually, uh, it was based around a real event that happened uh, about 10 years before, um, 10 years before I started having, having this dream. I was on a weekend getaway trip with my, with my dad and my uncle Johnny, and we went to Atlantic City. And uh, there's a casino, I think it's still there, it's called uh, Resorts. Well, anyway, there, there's a mix-up with our room, and long story short, the only room that they had to give us was the penthouse suite on the top floor. If if you've ever been in one of these, they are amazing. I mean, it's basically a full house on the top of this of of, you know, of, of this casino. I mean, it's it's got you know a full living room, you know, big big picture windows. You got looking over the ocean and the boardwalk, you know, amazing furniture, you know, hot tub, everything. So, anyways, in this dream, uh, me and my dad are are, you know, sitting on the couch and the windows are open on these bay windows. And we're talking and, you know, I can hear, you know, the waves outside crashing and I can smell, you know, the salt air. You know, I can feel the breeze coming in the windows and blowing over my face. It is so realistic. It's, it's, it's incredible. You know, and then, you know, me and my dad are having a conversation and, you know, it, it just feels like, you know, he was trying to communicate a message with me. And like, you know, right as he's telling me what I need to, needed to know, I would wake up. And I had I had this this dream over and over and over for years. I haven't had it for a long time, but I but I just remember this this article just made me think about it. You know, that dream it was it felt like I was really there in that moment, like I was actually there. It was crazy. So let's 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 continue on with the on with the article. So like I said, you you, you can feel the breeze on your face, smell the fresh cut grass, or taste the food that touched your lips. These realistic dreams feel like much more than just a creation of our imagination. A new science-based theory might actually reveal this to be true. Modern science, as well as Native American tribes and Mexican nations, believe that we, or at least our brains, visit a parallel universe when we dream. This would explain why humans can dream in color and can sense with all five feeling, with all five senses what's happening within the dream. It all started with the existence of the, the multiverse, the idea that our universe isn't the only one out there. In fact, it is just one of many. Within each of these universes is a new reality, one that, while similar to our own, is altered in some way by a decision that we've made. This is a concept that scientists have entertained and explored for many years. However, a controversial 20, 2010 study revealed evidence that there may actually be other universes in existence. 
Consider the last major decision you made in your life. Maybe you moved into a new town for for your dream job. In a parallel universe, another version of you may exist that sh- that chose instead to stay in your hometown and pass on the job. This one change in your narrative then creates a ripple effect, changing every area of your life from that moment on. If you have ever dreamt of your life, but it appeared to be a little different, maybe you were living in a different house or a different town, or you were working a different job, or find yourself involved in, with a different partner, you may actually be experiencing at, the, at that moment is a glimpse of your life in a parallel universe. The dream itself feels so real as if you're actually standing there because, in fact, it is real, just in an alternate world. This is the life that, that the alternate you has created. Yeah, so that's that's creating and you know, that's just that you know it's, it's 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 just crazy to think that that could be what's happening. But I mean, in a way, it does make sense because you know because I mean, scientists still can't understand dreams. Dreams are you know we, you know they don't even know why we dream or, or or you know how we dream. So you know potentially that's you know I mean this is you know it it makes sense. Um, so it just. The article closes by saying, if our dreams are, in fact, a glimpse into an alternate life, can we use them to explore these worlds? Are we no longer limited to just our own universe? Much, much further study is required, but this may be the start of some incredibly discover, some incredible discoveries in the future. You know, so what if you could somehow, you know, take control of your dreams and you could go, go to these, you know, these alternate realities where, you know, you're a billionaire, where you're the president, where you're whatever, where you're, you know, where you live in a world where there's still dinosaurs, you know, and, you know, and you, you know, who, who knows? Uh, you know, that would be cool if, if, you know, I mean, it could potentially be dangerous too, but as with any new scientific discovery, you know, governments around the world always seem to find a way to weaponize these, these things. So only time will tell on that. And our final story for this week uh, it's titled "A Scientist Says Life Was Found on Mars in 17." I'm sorry, in 1976, but NASA decided not to investigate further. <clears throat> More than four decades ago, two U.S. space probes landed on the surface of Mars on a mission to carry out a series of experiments. The craft began searching for evidence of life on the red planet. And shockingly, according to scientist Gilbert Levine. They actually found what they were looking for. Yes, you read that right. Only yes, or only now, years later, people are finally getting to the bottom of this seedy mystery and questioning NASA's true motives for keeping things under wraps. Since the first observations of Mars in the 17th century, humankind has wondered one pivotal question. Could there be life on this distant planet? Even today, finding proof that we're not alone in the universe remains the holy grail of countless researchers who spend their days looking to the stars. And from the 1960s, NASA has been landing, leading the race to answer this conundrum once and for all. <clears throat> to, end, to that end, in 1993, NASA launched the Mars Exploration Program, an endeavor with four distinct goals. Along with determining whether life has ever existed on the Red Planet, the project seeks to study both the global makeup and meteorological conditions on this far-off piece of the universe, in addition, NASA aims to lay the groundwork for human visitation to Mars. Over the years, NASA has made many attempts to gather data about Mars, which is located about 140 million miles from Earth. The first successful mission was launched back in 1964, when Mariner 4 rocketed into space from Cape Canaveral in Florida. 
Then, the following year, the probe undertook a flyby of the planet, a pioneering feat itself. <clears throat> that was far from the only breakthrough made, either. That was far from the only breakthrough made. As the probe passed close to Mars, it managed to capture pictures of the terrain below, the first ever close-up glimpse of a planet from deep space. But then, later that year, communication stopped only resuming briefly in 1967. Today, Mariner 4 has been abandoned, a wreck of a spacecraft floating uselessly somewhere around the sun. Over the years, though, other NASA missions have taken up the mantle. In 1969, for example, both Mariner 6 and Mariner 7 traveled to Mars, sending vital information back to Earth during the, the, the respective journeys. Apparently, these later probes were tasked with laying the groundwork for future research, including the hunt for life on the Red Planet. But while neither Mariner 6 nor Mariner 7 spotted any actual Martians, it wouldn't be long before a NASA mission uncovered something intriguing. Still, the space agency saw some failure in the interim. Setting off from Cape Canaveral in May 1971, Mariner 8 was intended to be the first probe to go into orbit around Mars, yet unfortunately there was an equipment failure during the launch, and this led the craft to, the craft to crash down into the Atlantic Ocean. Undeterred, NASA launched Mariner 9 just weeks later, beating the Soviet Union in a race to end a probe into Martian orbit. And almost for a year, the craft circled the Red Planet, ultimately transmitting more than 7,000 images back to the researchers on Earth. Mariner 9 proved an invaluable source of data, too. In total, it photographed 85% of Mars' surface, de uh, revealing in detail a complex terrain of canyons and craters. But for those hoping for signs of life in the vicinity, there was sadly very little, little to go on. Meanwhile, other ambitious NASA programs were continuing to end, coming to an end of its run. Back in the 1960s, it seems some had believed that man would land on Mars as early as the 1980s. And as a precursor to the hypothesis, the hypothetical missions, the agency therefore initiated the Voyager Mars program in 1966. Originally, the Mars Voyager program intended to send a series of probes into outer space in the mid-1970s, but this endeavor was ultimately called off in 1971, the same year in which Mariner 9 reached the Martian orbit. According to experts, the design of the proposed Voyager Mars spacecraft was flawed, and so such a rocket may have proved both costly and dangerous to launch. Yet despite this cancellation, NASA's big plans for Mars did not fade away, and eventually the Voyager Mars program evolved into the Viking program. This time, the objective of the mission were threefold, to capture detailed missions or images of the planet, to study its composition, and uncover whether life existed there. In fact, the Viking program would go on to develop the very first landers designed to research for biosignatures, indicators of past or present life on Mars. So on August 20th, 1975, Viking 1 left Cape Canaveral, arriving at the Red Planet close to a year later. Viking 2, on the other hand, departed Earth on September 9th, 1975, and found Mars a month after its probe in 1976. A month after its partner probe in 1976. Both Viking 1 and Viking 2 consisted of two parts. One of these, the orbiter, was designed to detach above the Martian atmosphere and take snapshots of the planet below. The lander, by contrast, would continue on and finally come to rest on alien terrain.
and for just over four weeks, Viking 1 orbited around Mars, scanning for a suitable landing site. Then, to the delight of those at NASA, the units finally or successfully detached, which with each embarking on its, on its own unique mission. Altogether, the cost of the program uh, was somewhere in the region of $1 billion, or around $5 billion in today's money. So what exactly did NASA get for its money? Well, amazingly, the Viking program delivered results that would inform the study of Mars for decades to come. While the landers of both Viking 1 and Viking 2 bruised themselves on the surface below, the orbiters gained a steady stream of information about the red planet. And with that data, researchers were able to develop a startling theory. By this point, NASA knew that the surface of the planet was littered with remains, remain, the remnants of extinct volcanoes. Incredibly, though, the images captured by the two orbiters revealed something new. Evidence that water may have once existed. For example, the probes detected geological aspects on Mars that could have been created from flowing water. So as the Viking orbiters delivered their revelations back to Earth, they were conducting experiments on the surface. Um, they were tasked to search the planet for the evidence of life, among other things. So, you know, the article just goes on to explain, you know, how, you know, how this was exactly done and, uh, you know, how the, you know, like how, how there was controlled, you know, us, uh, you know, how they obtained, you know, a control sample and it, it just goes into the detail they were studying. And, uh, so... Over so uh, so so we're gonna say over the course of the program, both Viking One and Viking Two continued to conduct labeled research, re labeled re released experiments on Mars, with NASA ultimately receiving four indications of the presence of microbes in Martian soil. Apparently, the data resembled that collected from samples here on Earth, so they basically felt that that it was uh, a contamination. But like the but like the writer of, of this article argues, these are so these these spacecraft are so sanitized before they go out that there's no way that that you know you know it wasn't an air microbe it was a soil microbe, and you know, he goes on to argue that there that, that, that there's no way that a soil microbe would have gotten onto this lander, you know so uh you know he feels that that NASA or someone above NASA, mainly someone in the U.S. government, told them to keep this under wraps and just hush. Don't say nothing. So, you know, the person who wrote this article, Dr. Gilbert Levine, um, he's basically leading the charge now to get this information uh, released, and he wants, to, he wants to get these samples and take another, another look at all the results from them. So just that's just the main reason I want to look at this article was it begs the, begs the question you know if if our rovers now find life maybe they have is NASA going to tell us or are they, they going to keep hiding on us I mean I don't know if they feel like the panic would public the public would panic maybe they feel that you know religion would fall apart and society would would lose its 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 morality I don't know what the what it is but I, I think that we, that we could all handle this. So let's hope that, you know, 
Doctor, that you know, uh, that uh, Doctor uh, Levine gets to the bottom of this, and hopefully, if NASA does find indications of life on Mars currently with our current rovers, that they will release the information to us. So, with all that being said, let's get to um, let's get to this week's story, which is the Titanic conspiracy theories. As most of us know, in 1912, the Titanic hit an iceberg on her maiden voyage to the United States and sank shortly after. While it seems over the past hundred plus years since the incident occurred, new revelations have appeared, and there might be more to this event than originally thought. The first conspiracy is that the ship that sank was the Olympic, not the Titanic. Author Robin Gardner wrote in his book, Titanic, the Ship That Never Sank, that there are several events and coincidences that lead him to think this. The Olympic was slightly older, but was built right next to the Titanic. The exterior of the two ships were nearly identical, except for a few minor details, such as the number of portholes on the forward C decks and the spacing of the windows on B deck. Both ships were built with linoleum floors, but right after Titanic's maiden voyage, White Star Line's uh, managing director ordered the floors of the Titanic to be uh, carpeted over. On September 20th, 1911, the Olympic was involved in a collision with the Royal Naval warship HMS Hawk. The Olympic suffered major damage and blame was passed onto the Olympic, even though multiple eyewitnesses report reports place blame on the HMS Hawk. Due to this, the star, the White, uh, White Star Liner's insurer, Lloyds of London, refused to pay for the damages. The Titanic was already behind on construction, and having to repair the Olympic would now put the Titanic's completion even further behind. So as this conspiracy theory goes, the decision was made to switch all identifying markings between the Titanic and the Olympic. The Olympic, which was now re-identified as a Titanic, would be patched up enough to be used so at least one of the ships were bringing in money, while the Titanic, now re-identified as the Olympic, would be finished and put into service as the Olympic. <clears throat> the damage to the Olympic caused the, the Olympic to list to the port side. When the Titanic left on its maiden voyage, it reportedly listed to the port side. The plan was for the Olympic now identified as the Titanic, to be disposed of in a way to gain full insurance coverage. As the theory goes, the seacocks were to be opened at sea slowly to flood the ship. The plan was to do this near other ships so that they would be able to get everyone off safely, even though there was a shortage of lifeboats. Gardner also states that he believes it wasn't an iceberg that struck, this, this struck but a ship named SS Californian that was completely dark, darkened of light and placed in that area to assist with passengers as it started to s slowly sink. But the Titanic collision with it caused the Titanic to sink much quicker, and the Californian took on considerable damage from the collision and had to retreat to port. So in their actions, the Olympic and Titanic's identities were switched. The, Olympics, the Olympic sank and insurance was collected, although done horribly wrong, costing a lot of human life. The real Titanic, which 
now identifies as the Olympic, was in service until it was scrapped in 1935. So that's the first theory, and that's that's the biggest one. If you know, I can see this happening, but this is the downright despicable thing to do. I mean, you know, insurance fraud's bad enough as it is, but to gamble with with, with people's lives, you know, you know, I mean, you know. And, you know, and like to have the SS Californian right there, but all blackened out so you couldn't see it, ready to help take on passengers, that's really sneaky. And then and, and then to be positioned improperly so that the Titanic struck it and caused all that damage because the, the, you know, to sink faster. Um, I can see this happening. I mean, I really hope that that wasn't, but, that, you, know, you know, the case, but. You know, I could definitely see this happening, and, and you know, just the coincidence that the Olympic listed to the port side after, uh, you know, after 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 the incident, and the Titanic listed to the left side or to the to the port side when it when it went at left port. And the crazy part about that is, is that the Titanic this was supposed to be a brand new ship. There's no way it should have listed to either side. It should have sat perfectly straight up and down like a brand new ship does. So, you know, there was definitely it definitely makes a lot of sense. And is, you know, I could definitely see it. So, uh, with that being said, let's, 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 let's look at the next uh, theory about the Titanic. This, this is a shorter one, but another theory is a J.P. Morgan. If that sounds familiar, you know, the bank, J.P. Morgan Bank. J.P. Morgan planned this disaster to kill his rival, Jacob A. Starr. Or Jacob Astor, insiders uh, Strauss and Benjamin Guggenheim. Oh, I'm sorry. I got to get my own writing. This, all right, let me start over with this one. This theory is that J.P. Morgan planned this disaster to kill his rivals, Jacob Astor, uh, Acedar Strauss, and Benjamin Guggenheim. Morgan was reportedly scheduled to be on the Titanic, but changed his plans at the last minute. The three men were opposed to J.P. Morgan's ideas of creating the Federal Reserve. The only problem with this theory is that there isn't an explanation as to how he made the collision with the iceberg happen, unless it ties in with the first theory of the Olympic and the Titanic switching place, places. So, for this, so basically what, the, what, what it's saying is for this theory to work, uh, J.P. Morgan would have had to known what they were planning on doing, you know, by you know deliberately sinking what they were calling Titanic that was actually the Olympic. But you know, they were planning on getting everybody off the ship safely, and no no no, no one was supposed to die on, on you know, on the ship. So uh, that's really far fetched. I th I think what 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 really happened was is that you know, you know, J.P. Morgan something came up last second, and you know he canceled plans. You know it's. Just like people who who you know canceled their flight that was supposed to be on those planes on 9/11, you know they canceled their they canceled their flight because or didn't make the flight because they were running late or they had you know other obligations that popped up or whatever happened, and it was just you know a, you know a, it was just a twist of fate that wasn't meant to be. So I don't know if I buy this part of that, but I mean it does look kind of weird that you know he didn't make it. Um, and the third and final theory would explain how the navigation could have been thrown off allowing the Titanic to travel closer to the iceberg-filled water and also explain the slow response time from, res from, re from the rescuers. In this theory, 
there is an act there is actually evidence to back it up. The night the Titanic sank, there was a massive solar storm caused by sunspots, which have been known to interrupt electronics and cause electronics to malfunction. According to this theory, the solar storm interfered with the ship's navigation equipment, causing the ship to be further north than planned, putting it in harm's way with the icebergs. The same solar storm could have interfered with communication devices, delaying help from being reached, causing a rescue to be laid, to be delayed by hours. I mean, you know, uh, like I said, there is evidence to back this up. If you you look at, you know, uh, every known solar flare, uh, there was there was one that was you know that night a solar flare. Now, I mean, granted they were on the other side of the Earth, but you know when. When solar flares hit our ionosphere, you know, it goes all the way around the Earth, you know, and it does, you know, interfere with electronics, with communications. So, you know, perhaps, you know, this is what happened. This is why they were, for, you know, if if the, this would be if the original story of the Olympic and the Titanic switching places isn't true, then this could this would also be plausible that, that you know, us that, you know, a big solar flare, you know, caused their, caused their, their navigation equipment. To, th to make them think they're much further south than they were, and also would would, would have interfered with their communication. So uh, these are the three theories that I came up with. Like I said, out of all you know, I I, I didn't even know of any of these. I you know, I always just bought the story that it was just a straight up iceberg and end of story. But I mean, the first one and the last one are definitely plausible. The first one, the only thing there is if they plan on getting everybody off alive, wanting to make sure they had more lifeboats. I mean, then again, if California was going to be right there, they could reuse some of the lifeboats. Maybe that was part of it. I don't know, but let me know. Let me know what you think. You know, go on the you know our website, or I'm sorry, our website. We don't have a website yet. Go on to the face. Go on to our Facebook page. Um, email us or uh, let a voicemail or text us on the phone line. As always, those those links are in the uh, descriptions of the video. Uh, yeah, I love hearing from you guys. Please, you reach out more. You know, uh, if you have any suggestions for shows or any, any kind of questions or anything, you know, definitely, you know, you know, uh, put that, you know, uh, communicate that to us. You know, and I'll, I'll, you know, definitely, you know, respond that to everybody who reaches out to us. So with that being said, uh, let's look at uh, last week's question of the week. So last week I asked you, um, you know, with this Artemis mission, the NASA sending to uh, to uh, the moon, you know, it's going to be our first moon or our first manned moon mission since you know the early 1970s. I asked you, what do you think the crew is going to be composed of? Is it going to be all American? Is it going to be an international crew? Is it going to be all men? Are they going to be women? What are we going to have? Um, I think it'll be most a mostly male crew, but I think they will include one female just to show you know NASA's NASA's really been been trying to diversify their crews you know and show that you know women are definitely just 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 as important to space exploration as men are you know each have their own different traits and strengths and the, you know they're they're both very much needed in in, in space in, uh, space exploration so I think there'll be at least one woman on the crew. Um. As far as if it'll be all American crew or it'll be international crew, I think the first mission, I honestly believe it's going to be an all-male crew, or I mean uh, an all-American crew. I originally thought maybe the Russians would be involved, or maybe the Chinese, but, but both of them, you know, politically, 
are standing with both of those, you know, you know, the Russians are, you know, in the midst of this, you know, Ukrainian war. So, you know, you know, and now the Russians are threatened, well, are basically pulling out of the International Space Station and they don't want to be involved with this anymore. Uh, and the Chinese are building their own space station. They seem to be going off in their own direction. And there's a lot of a lot of tension with the whole, you know, you know, China trying to take back Taiwan and us trying to stop them. So there's a lot of hostility there. So I don't. So I think, at least for the first mission, it's going to be, you know, you know, it's going to be an all-American crew with probably one woman. And I think, you know, f- you know following missions, you know, you know, you know, we might see astronauts from the European European Space Agency. So maybe in German or Italian or whatever, you know, so, you know, maybe, you know, a person included from there. I can see NASA doing, starting to do collaborations with the United Emirates, the, or the, the, you know, space agency, you know, you know, uh, based out of, you know, uh, the, uh, the Middle East. And I can see, you know, having, you know, one of their crew members. Uh, so, you know, I think it will be, it definitely will be an international collaboration without including Russia and China coming up, but I think the, the very first mission is going to be All-American with one woman. Could be wrong, but that's my opinion. So for next week, uh, since this week we talked about the Titanic, um, let's 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 talk about our oceans, you know, since we're already, you know, like an ocean theme this week. So it's already known that we know more about the moon than we know about our own oceans because our oceans are so hard to explore. Like, like, like space is a vacuum. Just to go in space, you just need to, you know, create a pressurized spacesuit and you're good to go. But when you start going into the depths of the ocean, the pressures get so immense that, you know, I mean, it'll crush you in a second. So I guess, um, do you think that there's any major discoveries that we have yet to make in, you know, in the oceans that that, that we're going to find anytime soon? I mean, it could be some kind of civilization that, 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 that we're going to find proof of, such as Atlantis. Um, maybe it'd be some kind of a a prehistoric, you know, dinosaur that we thought, like like whatever lock, the Loch Ness monster, whatever all these lake monsters are. Maybe maybe, maybe it'll be some kind of an aquatic life form. Um, maybe it'll be, you know, lost technology. You know, maybe it'll be a whole continent that sunk. And you know we'll find remnants of it, or maybe there's 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 nothing down down there to see. Let me know what you think. You know, do you think that we're gonna find anything within our lifetime? Do you think we're gonna find something significant in you know in the depths of of the ocean that's gonna change the history books forever? And if so, what do you think it's gonna be? As always, you can you know you can uh, go into Facebook. And uh, comment on our on our Facebook page. You can message me on Facebook. You can text or voice mail me on the phone uh, at the at the show's phone number, or uh, you can uh, email us. I will say that since we've added the phone line to the show, the texting option we've most of our communications have, have been texting. You know, I mean, you know, and that's great because that that line goes right to my phone. So I mean, you know. If anybody you know texts that, I see it immediately, you know, and I can you know, am, you know, if it's a question that I can answer right then and there. I mean, you know, I can. I mean, I already had, had had a bunch of questions about you know, what do you think about this or, hey, you know, do you like this or you know, I've had a lot. You know, I've met a lot of uh, people already have texted me, and I mean, you know, I usually get back to them within an hour. You know, I mean, if if I'm not, you know, 
you know, if I'm home and not doing nothing, I mean, you know, I do have, you know, I mean, yeah, this isn't my only, you know, I don't, I don't really make that much money off the show. Anything that I do make off this, I put back into equipment, back into, you know, into better microphones and computers and soundboards and whatever, you know, so, you know, I don't make no money from the show. Like I said, any profit from the show goes right back in, goes back into the show. Um, you know, so I have a regular job. So, I mean, you know, I, you know, there's, you know, th- you know, there's, you know, you know, 40 hours a week that I'm not available, which whatever. But other than that, you know, I mean, you know, as long as I'm awake, I'll almost always answer back in an hour. But, you know, if not, you'll answer as soon as I see it. So, like I said, reach out. Let me know what you guys think about that. Uh, and until next week, stay safe.